Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. So please open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4 is near the back of your Bible. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, and Revelation. Uh, if you have, don't have a copy of God's Word, feel free to pull out your cell phone or any other device that you have to dive into the Word of God together. We're going to dive deep today with one another, and it's going to be an incredible, uh, challenging, and good time to just hear the Word of God and be transformed by it. These are the very words of God that, that truly change lives. They're sharper than a two-edged sword. They pierce to the dividing of soul and spirit. It's profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It is encouragement. It is hope. And it is the very words of God. So with that in mind, may we hear from God's word. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. These are the words of the Lord. So as we've been looking at this new series in this new year, we've been looking at the book of 1 John. And the series title is The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again. And what we've been looking at within this series is that we've been seeing that John wrote this letter to Christians, to the churches in Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, and what he's doing within this is having fellowship with them. He's talking about fellowship with one another. Uh, he's talking about the love of God, but one of the biggest things that he talks about is to do two things. He is to encourage those who are in Christ, who are living out their faith, that they are in Christ, and then at the same time, it is to challenge those that are not walking out their faith, that are not living in their faith, that are not obeying the commands of God, that are not loving their brothers and sisters, that if they do not show fruit of being a Christian, then they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And what we've looked at is if we know God, we will obey God, and that is loving God. We've also looked at the fact that if you are a Christian, you are called to love one another, to love the brothers and sisters in Christ, to love God and love his church. We've looked at the fact that we're called to not love the world and to hate the things that God hates. We're called to love God and not to love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Recently, he, he has laid out that there are two different types of people. There are children of God and children of the devil. And there's no in-between. And so what we saw is that the children of God are those who are born of the Spirit, those who've surrendered their lives to Jesus. They are those that exemplify the love of God and they live in the commands of God 
and they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Those who are children of the devil are those who do not love God, who do not love his people, and who do not keep his commandments. So there's clearly a dichotomy between these two things as we've looked at the text of Scripture. And as we come to our text today, the, the Apostle John is coming and he is he's applying all of the things that he's talked about previously. And he has a call to each and every follower of Jesus Christ. And this call is to love one another. And what we're going to see within the text today is the reason that we love one another is because God himself is love. And as we look at this idea that God is love, we're going to see three different ways that this plays out. And the first is we're going to see that love is from God. So let's look at that text. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So love begins with the Father. Now it's interesting, John starts this passage with this beautiful word, beloved. Now there are some hard truths in 1 John. If you don't believe me, just read it. John does not, he, he does not in any way hold back from hard truths because God himself is speaking these truths. It's, it's important that we see them. Yet at the same time, it comes out of this pastoral heart of love. He is writing to these people that he deeply, deeply loves. And he uses this term, beloved. The same word that God used to talk about Jesus, beloved. And John starts out this passage with this statement of every Christian who is a follower of Christ, that you are a beloved of God. Now, beloved means one who is dearly loved and cherished. Now, if you're a Christian today and you're struggling with your identity right now, if you're struggling with, with feelings of worthlessness, Embrace that. You are beloved by God if you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. He starts by saying, beloved, let us love one another. Now, it's important to look at the language here. He says, let us. That includes John. He's calling himself to this as well. He says, beloved, let us love one another. Now, again, this is to Christians, and it's talking about loving brothers and sisters in Christ in Christian community. There is a different love that we have for the family of Christ than we do for anyone else in the entire world. We can love the world to the point that we want to pray for their salvation and get them the gospel, but we love each other in a loving, godly, unconditional way in the brother and sisterhood of Christ. And so as we, as we look at this word, we have to understand that he says, beloved, let us love one another. He wants them to have a warm regard and interest to cherish one another, to care for one another. What we've looked at within this series is that love throughout the Bible has to be understood as different from love in our culture. Because when we think of love in our culture, we think of ushy-gushy feelings, we think of Valentine's Day hearts, we think of heart emojis, we think of Facebook Lives and all the hearts that pop up. I love, 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 love that. But the reality is, as we look at things and we look at true biblical love, there's a few different things that really we see as a theme throughout biblical love. First is that love is action. 
Second is that love is attitudes. And third is that love is sacrifice. And the way we've defined love is through 1 Corinthians 13 and Jesus' statement in John 15 where he says, greater love has no one than this than to lay down his life for a friend. And so once again, as we look at love, let's go back once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses four through eight. Now I told you we should memorize this passage because it's very important. If it's a keystone passage on love in the Bible and we're called to love one another, it's important that we know 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, it's important to see that John never says this, and neither does 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The thing that it does not say in those passages is that love is easy. <laughs> love is not easy. Affection can be easy, but love is not easy. Well, why is love not easy? Because it goes against the, the grain of our character. Listen to some of these things. Love is patient and kind. You got me right there, right off the bat. <laughs> love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. I'm only rude in traffic. <laughs> it does not insist on its own way. Well, if I don't insist on my own way, then how am I ever going to get my way? It is not irritable or resentful. There we go again. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. But if I stand on truth, then people won't like me. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Wow, all things? It's hard. Love is hard. And I think sometimes understanding that love is hard makes it easier to realize that loving is going to take a lot of prayer, a lot of tapping into the Spirit, and a lot of work. Loving one another through attitudes, actions, and sacrifice. And so we're looking at this text and John says, Beloved, let us love one another. Well, why? For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now listen to that statement. For love is from God. Namely, if we continue on, that love itself is defined by the character of God. Now this is a deep concept right here. This is a mind-boggling concept. In the same way as we look at the word good, we know that goodness is actually defined by the character of God himself. All that God does is good. Jesus, when the Pharisees come to him and say, good teacher, what does he say to them? He says, why do you call me good? Only who is good? Only God is good. And we also see within this that God himself is love. What this is saying is that love is not defined by anything the culture calls it. Love is not defined by feeling. Love is defined by the very character and nature of God. 
Simply put, everything that God does is loving. That is hard right there. That's one we have to sit with. Everything that God does is good, and everything that God does is loving. Because love is defined by God himself. That takes away some of our understanding and culture that love is agreement. Love is acceptance. Love is whatever else you want to put on it. Love comes out of the very character of God himself. So if you want to understand love, you have to know God. And as we want to love one another, then we have to look at the example of God and that love starts in the Father himself. Now, as we look at this text, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Well, if we don't change the definition of love to be that which is coming out of the character of God himself, which is only something that can be experienced by those who know God and who have the spirit of God inside of them, this statement can get us into a little bit of trouble because it says, whoever loves has been born of God. Well, you may see unbelievers all over culture doing really, really kind things, doing humanitarian efforts, doing really, uh, really um, thoughtful things, and, and all of these different things that we think of when we think of love. But the reality is, is the type of love that it's talking about here can only be experienced by a Christian because it flows out of the Spirit of God, and human beings do not have the ability within their human depravity to love in this way. So to say that those who love are born of God is to say that those who love in the way that God loves with the spirit-filled love are those who are born of God. It's a tell that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. To say it this way, acts of love do not make a person a Christian. Being regenerate, made alive in Christ, makes a person love like God. There's a difference there. Because those around us are going to do really kind things all the time. But when we talk about this idea of love that's talked about here, it's talking about a spirit love, one that can only be in a person who has the fruit of the spirit. Think about it. The fruit of the spirit is what? Love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. All things that, again, are completely counter to our natural human condition. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's beautiful, self-sacrificial love of God. And we, we understand this because it says those who are born of God. Now this is a perfect tense. It means a, a past action that has results for the future. And what it's talking about is this spiritual birth that happened before the love comes forth. It's a perfect tense. So it happened in the past and it has results for the future. Now we see in know a present tense. This is talking about knowing and experiencing God and growing in depth of him now and continuing forward as well. It is only through the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit that a depraved human can love in the same way that God loves. So we have to tap into that in order to love one another. Because love is not easy, right? So we'll do it again. Love is not 
I thought it was going to be like this big thing where we said love and everyone would say easy right at the first time, but I guess it didn't work out that way, and that's okay. So love is not easy. <laughs> love is not easy. And so as we look at this text, we have to understand that, uh, that God and the Spirit of God and prayer is what's going to allow us to love one another as God loves us. And now it goes from talking about those who do love to those who don't love. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So those who do not love God, those who do not love his church, those who do not live out this, this God-like love, they are showing that they don't know God. I don't know many unbelievers that love God's church with a deep, passionate love. I don't know any unbelievers that love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so you cannot love in this way without the Spirit of God transforming you from the inside. And it's a tell that if you don't love God, you don't love his church, and you don't, and you don't want to live for God, then you are most likely are not a Christian, and you should turn and repent of your sins and turn to Jesus and ask him to save us. And that's what John says. He wants to encourage those who are loving that you're in Christ. And those who aren't Loving God and loving their brothers and sisters that we should ask the question if we know Jesus. Now, as we look at this statement, God is love, we have to understand that he loves both his people and he, he loves his creation with a perfect love. The apostle is not simply making a statement about the quality that God possesses. He's saying that God's love radiates from himself. It's the visible proof of God's love in the life of a believer is us loving one another. And there's three different things we have to understand as we look at this phrase, God is love. First, it's understood within a Jewish background, an Old Testament background, understanding God is living and personal and active rather than the, the Greco-Roman idea of God's that was this abstract thing that you couldn't truly know. No, God's personal. God is absolutely set apart from us, but he also knows the hairs on our head. That's incredible. He is loving and he is personal. Also, to say that God is love does not mean we take it away from any of the other characteristics of God within the scripture. This phrase, God is love, has been used to, to justify sin. Well, God is love and God is loving, so therefore he wouldn't really call me to any account at all. And a loving God would not judge. A loving God would, would, would not condemn somebody to hell. A, a loving God would, would not want me not to be happy. Well, we have to hold it with intention of the other phrases of God. So if we look within the scriptures, there's four main God is statements. God is light. God is spirit. God is love. And God is a consuming fire. Wow. There's a song that, that, that sings that in it. And I think that and when I, when I sing that song, I, I skip the verse. It's God is a consuming fire, burning holy flame with justice and wisdom. If you've ever seen that before. And I'm like, he's a what? <laughs> That's a very happy song to think about God being a consuming fire. Like God is a consuming fire. His justice and wrath are real. 
It's part of his character. It's part of who he is. And so we have to hold that intention with God is love. We also have to hold an intention with God is light. God shows light into darkness. God makes those who, who are blind spiritually to see. Jesus is the light of the world. And so as we look at this, we, we cannot be those who continue making a practice of sinning because if you know Christ, he's going to show light into it and say, no, nah, this isn't the way you live. If he's truly a consuming fire, then we have to realize that justice and wrath is upon sin, that justice and wrath is upon those things that are apart from the nature and character of God. Yet God being love makes all of this good news, and here is why. Because the greatest act of love ever in the history of the universe is John 3.16. For God so, that's an amount, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Do you want to see the two sides of God meet? The place we look is the cross of Christ. We see the justice and wrath and holiness and, and, and kingliness and beauty of God within his being set apart and holy and righteous. But we also see his love and mercy and forgiveness and being uh, abounding in steadfast love meet at the cross. Here's how. We all deserve the wrath of God because of our sin. By our very nature and by acts that we do, we are sinful. And we can never pay that penalty on our own because we continue to sin and we cannot have that punishment put upon us. The only punishment that would, that would placate for that is in eternity. Yet, God so loved the world that he sent the only one who could pay that penalty. And what he did is on the cross, he poured out his wrath and judgment so he could be just, but he poured it out on Jesus. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Jesus. That is for all those who surrender their lives to Jesus, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The wrath of God was poured out on Jesus for all those who believe in him and the penalty was paid God's wrath and justice is satisfied because he has to be just. But his mercy and grace and forgiveness are shown that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The greatest picture and greatest example of love in all of history is the cross of Christ. And that's where John goes. He says, God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. So the second thing we see in 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, is love is personified in the son. 
It takes realness and reality. It's personified in Jesus. It's manifest in him. It says, in this, the love of God was made manifest. Okay, what does that mean? It means to cause to become known, to disclose or show. The love of God was shown through the cross of Christ. The act of sending his one and only son for sinners, for enemies of God, to die the most horrific death ever imagined so that we could be forgiven and that God would get great glory because of it. It's personified in Jesus. It's made known. It's disclosed. We didn't truly know what love was until this example came of God sending his one and only son to pay for the penalty of our sins. And then he says, why? He says, so that we might live through him. Now that's interesting. God sent Jesus to die on a cross that we would be forgiven of our sins, that God's name would get great glory, but then that we would live through him. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. When we come to Christ, we die to our old selves. We're literally dead. And we become a new creation. And this new creation doesn't live for ourselves. This new creation doesn't live for our flesh. This new creation doesn't live for anything we lived for before. This new creation lives through the Spirit and through Jesus Christ to honor and glorify and worship God. That's who you are if you're a Christian. You're a vessel for the glory of God. There is no greater call in this world than to be a vessel, an instrument for the glory of God. There's no greater call. And no matter what vocation you're in, no matter what you do, you are an instrument for the glory of God. He has made you one for honorable use, which is to bring his name great glory if you know Jesus Christ. And so we're called to live through him. We do this through the spirit of God, which is in us. The spirit that regenerates us and makes us from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. Regenerate means make alive. The spirit makes us alive. And the spirit is our helper and it helps us live out the faith. It helps us obey the word of God. It helps us to love one another. Helps us to care for one another. It helps us to think of one another. It helps us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that we might live through him. And then there's a reminder that John gives in verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. It's important to remember that God does not love us because we first loved him. We didn't first love God. He first loved us. It says in Ephesians that before the foundations of the world, if you are in Christ, he chose you to be his child. It says in the word, in Romans chapter 3, that no one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside. 
It says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we were dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. That we were a slave to this world and a slave to the passions of our flesh. And God had to break through and save us. The Spirit had to make us alive in Him so that we could respond in faith. God demonstrated His love for us. While we were still sinners and enemies of God, He died for us. We love Him because He first loved us. He is the first actor. And He did this by sending His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that's a $50 word right there. So I looked it up, and here's what propitiation means. Appeasement necessitated by sin expediation. That is no clearer at all. (laughs) What it means is what we were talking about earlier. That at the cross, the very wrath of God was poured out on Jesus, and now God's wrath is no longer on us because it was justly poured out on Christ. And because of that, we can be forgiven. Our debt is paid for. The price, though, is our lives. It's surrendering our lives to God. It's turning and saying, God, you're Lord of my life. I no longer live for myself. I live for you with everything I am. God, I know that I lived for the ways of this world and my flesh, but God, I want you and I want your forgiveness and I want to know you. He says, if you come after me, you must deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. And when the disciples heard that, they didn't think of some pendant that you put around your necklace. They thought of an instrument of torture and death, capital punishment. Yet the life that we now live is the greatest life we could ever imagine. It's a life of peace and joy and freedom. It's a life that will be hard. Yet it is a life that God will be with us in. It's a life where we will face struggles and trials. Yet we can take heart because greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. That we can know that no matter what this world throws at us, We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It is in Christ that these things are true. It is in Christ that we are forgiven. Romans 3, 23 through 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. So we see the beauty of this new covenant laid out in Romans 5.11. We also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation with God. Our relationships made right. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And our response is 2 Corinthians 9.15, Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. And so we have to truly understand the love of God and what he has done for us and in us in order for us to love each other. That's what John's laying out here. He's saying, listen, you've got to grasp how much God loves you 
That way you can love others too. It's a motivating factor and it's powerful. We're called to love each other because of the love of God. And the final point is love is perfected through the Spirit of God, 4.11. Beloved, if God so loved us, so we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Yet if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. He closes out this argument as a good trial lawyer would with, with, with a point driving home. He says, listen, if God loved us in this way, let's love each other. Beloved, Listen, do you understand what God did for you? Do you understand how much he loved you? Do you understand? Do you get that? Then use that love and love other people. Love the body. Love Christians. Even when it's really, really hard. Because we'll have disagreements. We'll struggle with one another. Yet we're called to love one another. And God's love is perfected in that. It's completed in that. It says no one has seen God. And truly, no one has seen the very visible manifestation of God on earth besides Moses, who just saw a very small piece of God as he walked by. And Moses, he, he was like a glow worm for an entire week afterwards. Anyone who would see the face of God would die. That's what the Bible says. Yet... People see God in the love that his people have for one another. That's our call, is to love each other. This is where deep theology and practicality meet. Deep theology is so vitally important. And if you know me, I love reading Wayne Grudem. I love R.C. Sproul. I love A.W. Pink. I love, all of the, I love all of these different guys. And I love theology and I love understanding true doctrine. Yet the reality is that we need to live out our theology and practicality, which is to love each other. Because love is from God. And anyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. So how do we love each other? Well, we could go through examples all day long. But I think we go once again to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. And we put our brothers and sisters into each one of those lines. We are patient with our brother or sister. We are kind to our brother or sister. We do not envy our brother or sister. We do not boast over our brother or sister. We are not arrogant to them. We are not rude to them. We do not insist on our own way around them. We are not irritable with them, nor resentful of them. We do not rejoice with their wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. One of the loving things that we can do as Christians is to come in love if our brother or sister is in sin and come to them and say, listen, from the scripture, this is what it says, and, and this is that you're in sin, and we need to talk about this because I love you. I, I just want to come alongside of you in this and pray for you and care for you and have that discussion. You go one-on-one. -on -one. You don't bring a bunch of people. You don't talk over here with all these people about this dude's sin. You go to that person, and you talk to him about it, and you work that through. That's how community works and confrontation within community. And the idea is, is that we would restore one another and truly be able to continue in community with one another, loving each other. Also, if our brother or sister is led astray by false doctrine or teaching, it's coming alongside of them and saying, no, that's wrong. This is truth. And to show them that this is the way we're supposed to live and we, we live according to the word. We believe all things. We assume the best of them. 
We hope all things. We believe that God is working in them and has greater things for them. We endure all things. We bear one another's burdens and we, we bear up with one another. We don't give up on each other. Love never ends. And truly, if we treat our brothers and sisters in these ways, then we're manifesting the love of God. And this filter can be put on any and every situation that you can think of in this world. If we can live out these things, we're living out the fruit of the Spirit and we're loving one another. And like I said before, if you don't know Christ, you truly can't love in this way. So if you've never given your life to Jesus, then surrender your life to him today. If you're a Christian, remember the love that God has for you. I'm gonna close by reading this passage, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from his love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was the exact form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord for the glory of God the Father. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God. And anyone that loves is born of God and knows God. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.